finished up our Haggai series last week. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, uh, we spent the last four weeks in the minor prophet Haggai. And I don't know about you guys, but it was really good for my soul to go through Haggai. Uh, just was challenged repeatedly over uh, what do I prioritize? Like, what do I prioritize when it comes to my life, my living, my thinking, my actions? And it was really just a call to not just prioritize God with what I do, but also with my heart, with my mind, and with my thoughts, and with uh, all those things. And so I hope you guys were encouraged, hope you guys are challenged, and I hope you guys are ready to dive into what we got today. Uh, we're spending the next three weeks going over our mission. Uh, and then after these three weeks, we'll jump into a longer series that we're going to be doing throughout the school year. Uh, but for the next three weeks, we're talking about our mission as a church, what Veritas Church is about. Because mission is what drives action. Our mission is what drives our actions. Has anyone here ever been on a sports team before or a team of some sort? A few of us? Okay. Uh, so I was on a sports team. Uh, you might not realize it by looking at me, but I played football uh, in high school. I grew up uh, in central Iowa, just south of Des Moines, in a town called Indianola. Uh, here's the thing about Indianola football, at least while I was there, probably because of me. We were not very great. Uh, Maybe not even good for that matter, uh, but our senior year especially uh, started off really rough uh, for as long as I can remember. The first few games of my high school football career uh, each season was always against the easy teams to try and help like boost confidence, get some momentum rolling. Uh, our senior year, we started out two and two. It was not going very easy for us. And we get ready and we're going into uh, Ankeny week where we were playing Ankeny High, which if you're familiar with Central Iowa at all, Ankeny High School was one of the better high school football teams back when I was in high school. And so we're going up against them. They are 4-0. and We're 2-2. Two and two. They are bigger than us, stronger than us, faster of us. There are more of them than there are of us. And we're not super excited about it. To make matters worse... Uh, our head coach, uh, he used to be an assistant coach at Ankeny, and so he hated losing to them every single, every single year, which always happened. Like, we got thumped by them all the time. And so here we are. We're sitting 2-2. Two and two, Ankeny's 4-0. We go into Ankeny week. Coach has one mission on his mind. He doesn't care about the rest of the season. He probably realized it was over already. Uh, he wanted to beat Ankeny. That is what he wanted to do. That was the mission that he put in front of us. It wasn't the rest of the season. It wasn't make playoffs. It wasn't go on a championship run. It was, we are going to beat Ankeny. No questions. This is what we're doing. And so we practice that way all week long. We pull up to Ankeny's football field with no reason to even come close to beating them. And we leave winning 21 to 10. Yeah, I don't know why you're cheering about my high school career. It was not, not great. But we pulled out winning 21 to 10. And let me tell you, we weren't bigger. We weren't faster. We weren't stronger. We definitely weren't even a better football team than them. We ended up with a losing record that year. Not great. But what we had was we had a mission. And not just any mission. We had a compelling mission that influenced how we practiced it influenced how we thought. It influenced how we played. It influenced what we did that week, and it influenced what we did in that game. Because we, we had a mission that compelled us to action. And, and church, we have a mission as a church. And we have a mission that should compel us to action, a mission that compels us to a way of living. And so as we spend the next three weeks looking at 
our mission statement, we don't want to just tell you what our mission is. Because you can, you can get that anywhere, right? You can walk outside. You can see it on our entrance and exits by our front and back doors. You can see it on our website, homepage, the very first thing you see. If you've been around a while, hopefully you know our mission. Do we need a quiz? Do you guys need a quiz real quick? Come on, let me hear it. Let's see it. Raise up mature disciples. Send out everyday missionaries. Glorify God. Like if we just wanted to remind you what our mission statement was, we would stop right now, we'd go home and we'd have brunch, right? But we don't want to just remind you of what our mission is. We want to have our mission put forward in front of you and have it compel you to change the way you live. Have it compel you to influence your actions in your life. So for the next three weeks, as we look at our mission statement, and we look at what we want to do as a church, I don't want you to just see it as words. I don't want you to just see it as what we're about as a church. I want it to compel you to live in that way. I want it to compel you to live as a mature disciple, an everyday missionary, and for the glory of God. And so as we dive into our series uh, this week, we're going to be looking at that first aspect of it, raise up mature disciples. And we, we chose this language really carefully, right? Like raise up. We want to help grow up. We want to help create and help mold mature disciples. Mature. We don't want them to be immature. We don't want them to just be babies. We want them to grow up. We want them to be mature. We want them to act like the Christians that they're called to be. We want them to be disciples of Jesus. Knowing, loving, and obeying him. So when we say raise up mature disciples, that's what we want to communicate. And this idea of being a mature disciple, it's not just words that we Created. It's not words that we came up with. We weren't just sitting around a table trying to wordsmith something fancy. We actually find it in Scripture. We find it in Colossians 1, which is actually going to be our main text for the morning. But we see it in Colossians 1, 28 through 29. Paul is writing, and this is what he says. He says, Him, meaning Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone, what's that word? Mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. You see, we get this idea that Paul is struggling and toiling for a purpose. And it's to present these people mature in Christ. And not just a couple of them, he's wanting to present everyone mature in Christ. So that's what, that's what he's writing to them. That's like, I'm working, I'm struggling for your maturity in church. This is what we want you to hear We are here to struggle and work for the same thing for you. Every single one of you, like the collective us, we want to present all of us mature in Christ Jesus. Like if you're a visitor, we want you to become mature in Christ. If you're an attender, if you're a member, if you're a staff member, a leader, an elder, we want to continue to present you mature in Christ because maturing doesn't stop. Paul wants to help present everyone mature in Christ. And that's what we want to do as a church. That's what we want for you. And guys, can we be honest that there is a real danger to not maturing? There is a real danger when we don't mature as disciples of Jesus. Just like there's a danger if we don't mature as humans, right? Like you all know a couple of adults who probably need to do some maturing. You're like, you're a grown man, but you're acting like a teenage boy. What's going on right now? 
Or maybe you know some teenagers acting like children. You probably have a couple of those. But we know how bad it is when we as humans don't act in a mature way. There's dangers. There's problems that come up. The same is true as immature disciples. When we don't grow in our maturity as disciples of Jesus, problems come up. Danger is at hand. And Paul lets us know what this danger is. Uh, If you jump down to Colossians 2 uh, verse 4, we see him talk about it briefly. He says, I say this. Remember, he's trying to help present them mature in Christ. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He's saying, I want to present you mature so you are not deluded with plausible or reasonable arguments. I don't want you to be deluded by what other people are saying. I want you to be rooted in Scripture. If you flip back a couple of letters to the letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, he says something similar. Uh, He's talking about um, how he's given people to the church for the building up of the church. And he says this starting in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul's saying that there's a danger to being immature. There is a danger to being an immature disciple of Jesus, and that is you get deluded, you get swept away, you get deceived, you get tossed to and fro by the waves of doctrine that just come up. Guys, there is a very real danger if we are not people who are maturing in the gospel. If we are not people who are maturing in our faith and in our following of Jesus, there is a real danger. And it's not just real for them, it's real for all of us. Like, this is a danger that's real for you. I've been doing youth ministry to some degree for uh, about 14 years now. And I could get on my Facebook and show you proof after proof after proof of people who stopped growing in their faith, stopped growing in maturity. I can show you friends who have been deceived. I can show you students that I used to have who decided, man, I don't want to keep growing anymore, and they've been swept away. They've been tossed to and fro. They've been subjected to human cunning. I can show you pastors that have been swept away by the waves of whatever doctrine comes their way. This isn't just isolated to an individual or a certain kind of people. Everyone is in danger. If we don't mature, we're all in danger of this very same thing happening to us. And here's what I don't want to see in two, five, ten years when I get on Facebook or whatever is around then. I don't want to get online. And I don't want to see a bunch of you guys having been swept away, tossed to and fro, being deceived, being bombarded with different theologies and doctrine that you've bought into. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for our church. I don't want that for me. And so how do we keep that from happening? How do we stay away from this danger of being deceived and being deluded by reasonable arguments? I want to read this whole passage in 
Colossians 1 through 2 uh, to help give us an idea of how can we keep this from happening to us? How can we grow as a mature disciple? So let's start Colossians 1, 24, and we'll go through 2, 4. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. I want to pause there because that can be kind of a confusing verse to just read in isolation, right? It's like, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Uh, there's a lot of debate about what uh, this verse means, but I can tell you right away what it does not mean. It does not mean that Paul is trying to add to the saving work of Jesus. Like, it can be easy to read that into there. That's not what he is saying. That would go against every other piece of scripture that we have. That's not what he is saying here. So he's not saying I'm adding on to Christ's work. I'm not saying that I need to add some on there to make Christ's work of salvation complete. And so what is he saying? There's a couple different uh, reasonings, a couple different opinions that some people have. Uh, this is uh, one that John Piper gives that I think is a good explanation. He says, what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in worth or merit, as though they could not sufficiently cover the sins of all who believe. What is lacking is the infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in the world. So Paul's suffering is filling that void. That's how John Piper kind of explains this first set. When Paul is saying, hey, I'm adding to the afflictions of Christ, I'm completing them. He's not saying that he is adding for salvation. He's saying that he is adding to them so that people around the world could know who Jesus is. So you, we could go in a little bit further there. You can do your own study on your own time if you want. But I want to keep reading this passage uh, so we can see what does it mean to grow as a mature disciple. So let's just restart at 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So in this passage, there's a lot of beautiful things that we could dissect. There's a lot of beautiful things we could talk about. I want to pull out a couple of observations that I see here that I really think help us grow as mature disciples, help us be raised up as mature disciples. And the first one, and I'd say it's the most important one, is looking at the message of the gospel. Looking at the message of the gospel, when you look at this passage, primarily even just at that ending of uh, chapter one, you see how central the cross and Christ is to Paul here. You see how central it is to him here. I mean, look at some of what he says. He says, make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden, but now revealed, the riches of glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, him we proclaim. Reach all the riches of full assurance to understand the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
This passage is saturated with gospel language. It's saturated with the work of Christ and the person of Christ and what Jesus has done. And it's not just here, like this is all being led up to from the rest of the letter, the beginning part of the letter, where Paul has spent a ton of time talking about Christ. Like if you flip back to the beginning parts of chapter one, you see all this talk about Jesus. You say, you see, starting in verse 12, it says, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We see a transfer and kingdomship from Jesus. We see redemption and forgiveness of sins from Jesus. We see Jesus being the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We see him as the one who created all things and that all things were created through him and for him. We see that he is before all things. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn of the dead. He is preeminent above it all. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood. We see that Jesus, though we were once alienated and hostile mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Because that is the Jesus that Paul is talking about. And that probably would have been a good time for an amen somewhere. Because that is the central message that Paul is pointing to. He's saying, look at Jesus. I'm struggling. I'm working. I'm toiling to present you mature in Christ. And look at what I'm presenting to you. I'm presenting to you Jesus himself. The work of Jesus on the cross. He's saying, you want to grow as a mature disciple? You want to be presented mature? You can't go past Jesus. Christ is the focal point. The gospel is the message. We see that the gospel is the message that saves. It's the work that saves us, but it's also the work that sanctifies us and grows us. The message of Jesus Christ is vitally important to our maturing. Growing in the gospel is important to our growth as mature disciples. And Paul is saying, I want to present everyone mature. He's not just saying the baby Christians. He's saying everyone needs to be presented mature. Everyone needs to grow in maturity. And the way you do that is through Jesus. The way you do that is through the cross. The way you do that is the power of God himself. Because a lot of times we can start to think that, yeah, Jesus saved me, but I need to grow myself. Yeah, Jesus saved me. He saved me from my sins. He reconciled me to God. But now I'm going to try and grow on my own. I'm going to try and do my own things. I'm going to try uh, to just muster up my own strength to do what I need to do. But how well does that work out for you? Not very well, right? Like if you could muster up the own strength to become a mature disciple on your own, you would have done it already. If I could make myself a more patient husband and father, I would have done it already. But we can't do it on our own. It is the work of Christ in us that matures us. And it's for everyone. 
It's for the growth of everyone. Paul understood this. He wasn't just talking to them. He was also talking about himself a little bit. When he's talking about maturing as a disciple, he's not just thinking, man, this is for you, not for me. We see this attitude if you flip back a page to Philippians chapter 3. We see this idea that, man, Paul still sees himself as needing to grow. Look at verse 10 through 15. He's saying that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Paul's saying the mature, they know that they haven't arrived. They know that they still have growing to do. They know that there's still work to be done in their own heart and in their own life. But notice how Paul talks about the work that needs to be done. He doesn't say, I work really hard. He's not saying, I muster up all the strength and we need to work for our holiness. We need to work for our godliness, but he's not attributing it to himself. In fact, earlier in chapter three, he talks about how none of that means anything. It's garbage. But look at what he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Then he goes on to say, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He forgets what is in the past. He looks forward to what lies in the future. And that's Jesus. He's saying the power, the reason that I look ahead, the thing that helps me grow as a disciple isn't me. It's Christ in me. It isn't my own work. It's the work of Jesus. He's saying you want to grow as a mature disciple. You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You need to grow in the gospel. You can't grow on your own. We say a lot around here that you can't outgrow the gospel. You can't outgrow the gospel. You can't ever move on from the gospel. You might be able to outgrow a house, a pair of shoes, your fashion choices. Some of you probably should. Come on, get on the Hawaiian shirt, gang, y'all. But you can't outgrow the gospel. There's nothing out there that will help you grow as a disciple of Jesus more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't outgrow the gospel. And there's something else I want us to see as we're talking about the gospel here and growing in the gospel that I think is really easy for us to miss. When you look at the language Paul uses here, he's using language like riches of the glory of this mystery, riches of the full assurance of understanding, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's using language like riches and treasures Guys, a lot of times we can think that growing in the gospel, growing in our relationship with Jesus is a chore. It's just boring. It's just mundane. It's just something I do because I know I'm supposed to do it. Guys, what Paul's communicating here is it's not boring. It's not a chore. It's a joy. It's a treasure. It's rich to know Jesus. To know Jesus more is to be vastly wealthy. 
Think about it like this. I've been, I've been married for seven years, just celebrated our seven-year anniversary uh, this past month. And one thing that it got me thinking about is back when we were dating. And when we were dating, getting to know my spouse, do you guys think it was boring? No. How bad would it be if I said, yeah, it was boring, really boring? No, it wasn't boring. It was fun. It was exciting. It brought joy. Like getting to know my wife more and more through dating was a treasure. I cherish those moments. I don't know if she does, but I do. It was a joy to get to know her. And as we've been married and stayed married, it hasn't gotten boring. Sure, it's gotten hard. There's been some hard times. It hasn't always been easy. It hasn't been boring. I know more about my wife now that makes me love her more than I did seven years ago. Because it's a joy to get to know my wife. How much more of a joy should it be to get to know Jesus? We shouldn't see coming and growing in the gospel as a chore, but as a treasure. Something we cherish, something we see as vastly rich to us. So do you see it that way? Or is it just something that you're marking off the boxes, saying, man, I'm just trying to grow my godliness, I'm going to read, I'm going to try to know Jesus more. Man, see it as a joy, see it as a treasure that it is, knowing Jesus. And as we know Jesus, and we grow in the gospel, that spurs on our maturing. That's what motivates and empowers our maturing as disciples of Jesus when we know and grow in the gospel. That's the first thing. The second thing I want you guys to see, that as Paul is writing here and talking about presenting them mature in Christ, is he's using really personal language. He's encouraging them to grow in the gospel, but he's also saying, I'm struggling, I'm toiling, I'm working hard to present you all mature in Christ. He knows that it's not just something that they can do on their own. It's not just something that they can muster up on their own strength. It's nothing they can do in isolation. He knew that they needed to be taught. He knew they needed to be instructed. He knew they needed to be encouraged and challenged to grow in the gospel, to grow in their walk with Christ. And so Paul stepped into that. He struggled. He toiled all to present them mature. Church, my question is, do you have people in your life who do that for you? Do you have people who are struggling and toiling on your behalf? Not just for your life, not just for the physical things in life, but for your holiness, for your maturity, for your growth in the gospel. Do you have people toiling and struggling? And I I do want to say, on some degree you do. Like as pastors here, as a staff member here, as elders here, we work and toil and struggle so that you guys can be presented mature to Christ. We pray hard for you guys. You're loved and cared for more than you know. But on a more personal level, on a daily level, on a life-to-life level, do you have people pouring into you in that way? working and struggling and toiling to present you mature. Because, guys, you need the gospel in order to grow. 
You need to grow in the gospel to be presented mature. But you also need others. You need people walking with you. You need people doing life with you. You need people challenging you and encouraging you. Saying, man, this is the gospel. Walk in it. Here's what you're doing over here that doesn't line up. You need to line up with the gospel. Or encouraging you saying, man, you're being such a good representation of who Jesus is right now. Keep it up. Work hard at that. Do you have people in your life struggling and toiling on your behalf for your maturity? Because, guys, we want you to be mature. We want you to be a mature disciple. We want you to grow up into maturity. And here's what you need to know. If you're taking notes, write this down. A mature disciple grows in the gospel with others. A mature disciple grows in the gospel with others. You need to keep the message of the gospel front and center. The gospel isn't just good news for salvation. It's good news that sanctifies. It's good news that empowers you to grow. And you need others to walk alongside of you. To help you grow into what the gospel says that you should become. A mature disciple grows in the gospel with others. So for these last few minutes, let's get just really practical, really tangible. Like, how can we do this? How can we be people that grow in the gospel with other people? First one is, I really just want us to be people who dwell on the gospel a lot. Not just think about it. Like, it's easy to say, oh yeah, I think about the gospel. But I mean, dwell on it. Like, Let it impact not just what you think, but what you say and how you live. Like, let it be always on your brain. I think one of the ways that we can do this is start practicing gospel replays. Start practicing gospel replays. Anyone ever watch uh, John Madden commentate Monday or Sunday Night Football? No one? Come, okay, one hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Uh, Here's the thing about John Madden. He's really good at using tele-illustrators. You know what I'm talking about? Like, he'll draw the circle here, the X here, the line there, whoop, up the middle, like, all that. He's really good at tele-illustrating what's going on in the play so that you can help connect things that maybe you didn't notice that first time around. Because we need to be good at tele-illustrating the gospel in our own life. Towards, like, maybe you're at lunch break, maybe you're at your end of the day, and you're just sitting down, And you're like, man, I need to start practicing some gospel replays. I need to telestrate the gospel in my life. Let me think back through my day. And you start picturing your day. You're like, man, here's the argument that I had with my spouse over here. Didn't handle that very well. But man, she forgave me. Man, what a beautiful picture that is to the gospel. That Christ has forgiven me when I didn't deserve it. Or you have situations at work and you're trying to figure out, man, how does the gospel tie in here? Where do, where do these lines connect? How do I get to the gospel from this spot? Maybe there's a conversation that as you're replaying your day, you're like, man, I missed an opportunity for the gospel here. But at least you're making the connections on how the gospel ties in to your everyday life. Start telestrating the gospel in your life. Start figuring out, man, how does the gospel play in here? How does the gospel play in here? And if we became well-versed in pinpointing the gospel activity in our own life, we'll be people who are growing in it. So dwell on the gospel. 
Next suggestion I would have for you is do things that promote gospel growth. Gospel growth doesn't just happen. It's not just instantaneous. It's not something that happens passively. You need to actively engage in things that promote gospel growth. I want to give you a few really practical things that you can do starting today. First, sign up for classes. Here at Veritas, we offer classes to help you grow as a mature disciple, to help you grow in your knowledge, love, and obedience of Jesus. Sign up for a class. Maybe you need to sign up for gospel pathways, and you need to see how does the gospel transform my everyday living. Maybe you need to sign up for our equipping conference that we're having in October. We're not offering a ton of other classes this fall, but instead we're going to do a conference in October to help equip you guys to be better followers of Jesus. Maybe you need to sign up for a class. Maybe you need to be more invested into your connection group or get into one. I know there's a waiting list. If you're on the waiting list, keep bugging us about it. I'm sure Randall will love me saying that, but keep bugging us about it. We want to get you in community. We want you to be in a group. We want you to grow in the gospel with others. Maybe you're in a group though. And you're just kind of going through the motions. You're just kind of doing it. What kind of growth would happen? What kind of maturing would happen if you actually invested into that group? If you actually contributed, if you actually helped keep other people accountable and accepted that into your own life, what if you took connection groups seriously? And then this is a third one that I would give uh, for doing things that promote gospel growth. This is really easy. You can order it on Amazon today. Uh, there's a book called Deeper by Dane Ortland. Read that book over vacation, wrecked me. So good about how we grow as followers of Jesus is rooted in who Jesus is. So if you're like, man, those other two seem like a high bar, just pick up a book, start there. Be encouraged, do things that help you grow in the gospel. Maybe you're in here and you're like, man, I'm doing all those things. I feel like I'm growing. I feel like I'm maturing. I'm feeling like I'm in a pretty good spot right now. I know I need to keep growing. What do I do? Man, keep the gospel in front of you. Grow in the gospel, grow with others. And maybe that looks like for you, the next step of your maturing is to bring someone else along. Maybe it's time for you to start toiling and struggling, struggling for someone else's discipleship. Someone else's growth in the gospel. If that's you and you're feeling urged and challenged to do that this morning, we have a disciple group starter kits out in the resource center. Pick one up. Start toiling and struggling for other people's godliness. And church, if we were a church full of people who did these things, man, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be falling into the danger of not maturing. Because we'd be growing as mature disciples. We wouldn't be in as much danger of being swept away, of being deceived. But instead, we'd get to celebrate what Paul celebrates in verse 5 of chapter 2. He says this, For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. If we were a church that grew in the gospel with others, we'd be a church rejoicing over the good order and firm faith of each other. 
We'd be a church in good order in our lives and in our church body, and we'd be a firm faith. Like if I could even go back to my example earlier of how I can get on Facebook and show you example, example of people who have not been mature. If we took this seriously, took our call to maturity seriously, if I got on Facebook in two, five, ten years, whatever it is, I wouldn't see you guys falling away. Wouldn't see you guys being tossed to and fro, being deceived. I'd see a church filled with a bunch of people living their everyday life as a teacher, as a mom, as a dad, as an engineer, as a factory worker. Whatever you guys do, I wouldn't get on Facebook and be depressed because of the way that you guys are choosing to walk, but I'd be encouraged because I'd see a bunch of you guys living your normal life, but for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, because you took the call to grow in the gospel with others seriously. So you're not being deceived by other people. You're not being swayed by false doctrine, but you're staying firm in the faith. And I'd get to praise God because of your firmness of faith. And you want to know something that's really sweet is I can look out here right now and I can say that and be excited about that for a lot of you right now, that you're growing, that you're growing into maturity, that you're growing in the gospel, you're doing it with others, you're being firm in your faith, your life is in right order. And that's what it looks like to be a mature disciple. So may that be us. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have given us life in him that we do not deserve. Thank you for the gospel, the message of the cross, of Jesus reconciling us to you. God, the gospel doesn't stop there, and we thank you for that, that the gospel is the power that we need to grow, the power we need to grow into maturity. So Spirit, help us. Help us dwell on your goodness. Help us dwell on the gospel. Help us keep it in front of us. Help us realize that it's the power to change. And God, may we be a church that's so focused on what you have done and what you're doing in us. and being able to do it with others that would give you glory and praise that you deserve. It's in your name we pray. Amen.